Well, good morning, church. I have to tell you, I am a very, very thankful pastor this week, and I want to tell you why. It's been just an incredible, incredible week to see uh, what the Lord has been doing in and through you. And uh, so earlier this week, I heard another great story of someone coming to faith uh, through uh, the ministry and people of our church, and I hope we can share some of these stories in more detail with you later. But uh, once again, another week here where somebody comes uh, into the kingdom, right? We, we celebrate that all the time, right? Yeah. And uh, on the same day, uh, I ended up in court, so, and uh, it was for a good reason, so a good reason. I was there uh, to participate uh, in an adoption uh, for one of the families in our church, and uh, uh, so many great things about that, uh, but this young man uh, came into the family uh, through the foster care system. Uh, a number of different people in our church have played a part in, in this and in his life, uh, and the greatest part about that is this young man has come to faith over the last year uh, through that family and through our church, so we rejoice to celebrate in that too. And then um, Friday night, Saturday morning, we held two ordination councils for four of our pastors. And these guys did a fantastic job, and they passed with flying colors. So I'm uh, really, really excited about that. Yeah. And then um, during the week, I got some really great news about all of you. And so uh, you may remember, hopefully you remember, two weeks ago, uh, I gave you a challenge and encouraged you uh, to give last Sunday. Uh, and in response to that, you came and you gave uh, a ton of food to the cupboard, like literally a ton, all right? More than 2,000 pounds of food for the cupboard, yeah. Uh, and then um, you also gave financially in an incredibly generous way so that last Sunday we had our largest offering of the entire year. All right, and so I am just so thankful that um, you are so responsive to uh, really being shepherded, to being pastored, and to, to God's word and the Spirit's leading. And because of that, the Lord continues to work in and through you in an incredible way, both here in Southeast Iowa and around the world. And so can we just one more time put our hands together and celebrate God's goodness in all of this? Yeah. Now, we just have to remember that God gets all the praise and all the glory for this, right? It's all in him and through him and for him and to him, and it's all about him. So we got to keep remembering that. And I want to encourage you uh, about one more thing. Tonight, uh, 6.30 p.m. at our Danville campus, we're going to come together, uh, three campuses, one location, and we're just going to spend uh, an hour or so just worshiping and, and praising the Lord. And it's going to be a great evening. If you've not been to one of those, you, you really, really are missing out. You're going to want to be here. And so just encourage you to come back and we can just kind of celebrate uh, the Lord together, all right? And so um, let me just pray and thank him for all of that, and then we will get into the message today. Father, Father, uh, you are so good. You are so, so good. And, and really, your greatness is beyond our comprehension. And if we had um, eternity uh, to praise you, and, and we will, uh, we, we couldn't even begin to, to, to praise you enough for all that you are and all that you have done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. Well, we praise you for all that you're doing in and through uh, your church here um, in Southeast Iowa, and we want to pray that you will continue to do more and more in the days ahead, not for our fame, uh, not for the sake of our name, not for our glory, but for yours and yours alone. And so, Lord, continue to meet our needs, and I pray that right now you will meet our need uh, for open uh, ears and an open heart to be able to receive what you have 
for us from your word today. Lord, uh, the message today um, and, and the passage that it comes from uh, is a really challenging one. Uh, it, it's one I believe that we desperately need, but uh, as we go to it, it's, it's, it's going um, to possibly, very possibly cause us some pain, uh, but I pray that that pain uh, will be a pain that will lead to healing and freedom and flourishing uh, for our good and for your glory. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, we're back in the Sermon on the Mount, of course, uh, today, uh, this time in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. So if you're not there already, please get there quickly. Uh, when I think of one word, just one word to describe the Sermon on the Mount, the word that comes to mind is radical. Radical. That word comes to mind because Jesus' portrait of discipleship is nothing less than earth-shaking, and we might even say extreme. It was earth-shaking in the first century, and it's still earth-shaking today. Maybe even more earth-shaking and definitely more extreme uh, today. This is particularly true in regard to the passage we're going to look at today, a passage where Jesus gives his radical view on sexuality. In fact, I think it's fair to say that uh, in our day, the radical nature of the Sermon on the Mount is probably felt the most in Jesus' teaching on this subject. Uh, as I was preparing for this message, I got to thinking uh, that you might be thinking that we talk about sexuality a lot at Harmony Bible Church. And you know, if you are thinking that, you are right. We do. And here's why we do. One, the Bible talks about sexuality a lot. In fact, there, there's hardly a book in the Bible that doesn't touch on this subject in some way. And so, since we're committed to uh, faithfully preaching God's Word, most often by going through a book or a portion of a book, this is a topic that we're going to come to again and again. We're just not going to skip over it because it's easy to do so, or because it might be offensive, or because it it might uh, cause some difficulty, but we're going to preach what the Word of God has to say. But then second... We need to talk about this subject because it is, without a doubt, the number one issue facing our culture today. Our culture talks about sex ad nauseum, and most of the conversation is wholly unbiblical and terribly unhealthy. Most of the things that that you are hearing outside of the church about sex are going to be wholly unbiblical and terribly unhealthy for you. And therefore, if we want to be both biblically faithful and culturally relevant to things that, that we are absolutely committed to, then we have to regularly tackle this issue. And, and I want to say this to you. We, we all, and I do mean all, need to hear what Jesus has to say about sexuality. So young, old, somewhere in the middle, single, married, widowed, okay, divorced, it, it doesn't matter. We need to hear what The Bible has to say about this because it certainly applies to all of our lives, certainly in different ways, but it does apply. And further, I want you to realize that biblical sexuality is a community project. It's something that we have to pursue together. We're a body, and so what affects one part of the body affects the rest of the body. Y'all with me on this? Let me make this point for you. Do you think um, that it matters? Maybe I should say it this way. Does it matter to you whether or not your pastor lives a life of sexual purity? Does that make a difference to you? Does that affect you in any way? You believe that that is the case, right? You, you, you want me, you want the rest of our pastors and elders to, to live lives of sexual purity. Uh, because the way that we live affects 
you and your life. Well, here's the truth, friends. The way that you live, okay, in regards to sexuality affects everybody else in the body as well. Because if one part of the body is unhealthy, you know what that makes the rest of the body? It makes the rest of the body unhealthy in, in some way. And so the way that, we, I know that we don't like to think this way, right? We think I, it's my life, I can live the way that I want, okay? It's not your business how I'm living, that's not the case, okay? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the way that you live your life is the rest of our business. And the way that I live my life is your, your business. Why? Because, we, again, we are a body, and in particular, in this area, we need to come alongside. By the way, we, we don't do this in order to be judgmental, okay? We, we do this in order to come alongside one another and to, to help one another, to encourage one another, to help us to follow Jesus in every single area of our lives, and particularly in this area. And so, even if you think sexual purity isn't an issue for you, I want you to hear right at the beginning that you still have a role to play in helping the rest of us follow Jesus in this crucial area of our lives. Now, before we dive in, uh, one more thing I want to say, because I I want you to understand uh, my heart today as I deliver this message. And and my heart this morning is, is heavy. It's always heavy before I preach because that's the way it should be when you are proclaiming God's word. But it's, it's an extra level of heavy today. And the reason for that is because I, I know that this message is going to be painful for many of you to hear. I know it's going to be painful because of things that you have done are doing or things that have been done to you or are being done to you or both of those things. So there's no way that this isn't going to be painful for many people here today. And in other words, and maybe put it this way, Jesus' words, okay, here are very, very strong. And so uh, to be faithful to what Jesus has to say, I'm going to have to deliver some of these things in a, in a strong way. But what I want you to know and what I want you to hear right at the beginning is that the purpose here is not to hurt you, but to see you begin to be able to be healed. You you might think of Jesus' words as the scalpel in the hands of a very skillful and a um, loving and gentle surgeon. So so a surgeon is going to use her scalpel, right, in in order to heal someone, but in the process is going to probably hurt them. So Zane's going to have another surgery this week. He's going to have his tonsils out, all right? The surgeon, she's a a really skilled lady, and she's going to go in there, and and it's going to go great, and it's going to work really well, but Zane's probably going to have a little pain afterwards, right? But the pain is necessary for him to be healing so that he can breathe better, so that he can sleep better, so he can have less uh, risk of infection, right? And, and the same thing is true that we got to understand as we go into this today is that Jesus, this is true in all the Sermon on the Mount. We've already seen this, right? That Jesus, they're hard, they're difficult, but if we will listen, if we will submit, and we will allow the words to do their good work in our lives, it will lead to healing. It will lead to freedom. It will lead to flourishing. And I'm going to come back to this at the end so that you get it on both sides. All right? Now, with that said, here we go. Look at Jesus' radical teaching on sexuality. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus begins uh, by quoting the seventh commandment, uh, the one we're all familiar with, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery, right? This is a commandment that prohibits, get this, sex outside of marriage. However, Jesus goes on in verse 28 to say that adultery goes much deeper than a simple physical act. He says if we desire internally what would constitute adultery externally, then we've committed adultery in our heart. Did you get that? Okay. If we desire in our hearts, in our inner being, okay, what would constitute adultery externally in a physical act, then we have committed adultery in our hearts. Now let's talk a little bit more about heart adultery. Uh, and the key here is the word looks in verse uh, 28. The word looks there is a present active participle or, or, or verb, right? So, so it is uh, referring to a continual looking, a continuous looking. And it's a continuous looking with the intention of lusting. So we got to get this. Jesus isn't simply prohibiting looking at someone. It's okay to look at someone. And Jesus is not even prohibiting finding someone attractive. Instead, as one commentator puts it, Jesus is forbidding the leering looks that are intended to stir up lustful thoughts. What is Jesus prohibiting here? It's not looking at someone else. It's not finding someone else attractive, but rather it is looking with someone re- repeatedly over and over. Maybe think about staring or checking out with this intention to, 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 to leer, to stir up lustful thoughts in our heart. Now, I think it's important to clarify or to clearly define what constitutes lust. And this is important, so, so listen closely. Lust is desiring in your heart what would be sin if you were to do it in practice. Lust is desiring in your heart what would be sin if you were to do it in practice. This means that heart adultery is looking at someone who is not your spouse in a way that leads you to desire them sexually. If you look at someone who is not your spouse, and this is true whether you are married or not. So if you look at someone whom you are not married to and you allow desire to form in your heart for them sexually, then you are committing heart adultery. Now that said, I want to be clear that the problem Jesus is addressing here isn't sexual desire in and of itself. Jesus isn't saying that sexual desire is wrong. I'm not saying that sexual desire is wrong. This is something that the church hasn't always gotten right. Uh, so I want to take a moment to, to make a clarification. The church has often got this wrong. In fact, uh, this goes all the way back to the early centuries where there was one church father named Origen who, who was really a, a godly man, contributed a lot, uh, but he saw Jesus' words here, so he had himself castrated, all right? And I just want to say, Origen's got to be up in heaven, right? I really got that one wrong, okay? <laughs> right now. So we, we need to understand, okay? That, that the church should not teach, and the Bible certainly doesn't teach, that sexual desire in and of itself is wrong. We know this because in Genesis chapter 2, when Adam sees Eve for the very first time, what's his response? Well, his response is to burst into a, a love song. He literally, he sees her and he bursts into a love song. His first word, the first word out of his mouth is, whoa, man! 
Sorry, I had to do. But it's actually, honestly, it's actually not far from the truth. He says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which doesn't maybe kind of sound all that romantic (laughs) to us, all right? But in the Hebrew, it it is a very um, uh, desiring kind of language there that that he, he sees this woman, okay, for the very first time, and he has a desire for her. And God says, this is good. And so he, he performs the first wedding ceremony. And he tells Adam and Eve that they are to join themselves sexually in order to uh, signify and to seal their marriage vows. And we have to remember that in the garden, Adam and Eve were, were naked. In fact, Genesis 2 ends. They were naked and they were without what? They were without shame. So everything in the opening chapters of the Bible tell us that when sexual desire is expressed as God intends it to be inside of the covenant of a heterosexual marriage, then it is good and it is pleasing to God. What do we see in Genesis 1 over and 2? It is good. It is good. It is very good. And that includes sexual intimacy between a man and a woman who are married to one another. What we find, however, throughout the entire rest of the Bible is that while this is still good, over and over again we're told that, that it gets corrupted and it becomes an issue, it becomes adultery and or heart adultery when that sexual desire, okay, goes beyond the boundaries of the marriage between a man and a woman. So let's get practical here. I'm going to be really practical today and spell out for you what heart adultery includes, It includes viewing pornography. Now, I shouldn't have to highlight that, but unfortunately today I do. Porn porn in any form is completely unacceptable for a follower of Jesus. But along with that, heart adultery includes viewing or listening to anything that stirs up lustful feelings. It includes coarse joking, innuendo, and any kind of language that objectifies another person. And it even includes, get this, Behavior that tempts someone else to lust after us, such as flirting in a sexual way or dressing in a revealing way. I could go on and on here, but hopefully you're kind of getting the idea. What I want you to understand at this point is that this is serious. Jesus is deadly serious about this. We'll look more closely in verses 29 through 30 in a minute. But there Jesus says that heart adultery can lead us to hell. Heart adultery can lead us to hell. I know this is shocking, uh, but please don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is just kind of exaggerating to get our attention. No, brothers and sisters, he means it. He wants us to recognize that if we fail to pursue sexual purity, not just in our actions, but also in our hearts, it can have eternal consequences. Sadly, I've seen this time and time again. I wish it wasn't the case, but I've seen numerous professing Christians fail to pursue sexual purity and as a result end up walking away from Jesus altogether. Uh, They commit heart adultery and then refuse to repent, and this eventually leads them to throw in the towel on Jesus altogether. I've seen this happen with church members, uh, with friends, even with fellow church leaders. And so I want to plead with you today, brothers and sisters, don't let this happen to you. It can happen to you, 
It can happen to you, and I'm pleading with you not to allow it to happen. Get, get this, Jesus is not satisfied for you to, 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 to simply stay away from committing physical uh, adultery, okay? He's going way deeper than that. When he's telling you, he's like, hey, I want you to be pure in heart, pure in your heart. And what he's telling us here is a failure to pursue this purity in heart can have eternal consequences. And so today, brothers and sisters, I just plead with you to make pursuing sexual purity a priority. Make it a priority. And I want to tell you how to do so. I'm going to give you three ways to pursue sexual purity. The first way is to take radical action. Take radical action. Look at verses 29 and 30 again. Jesus says this, all right, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Note two important things here. One, Jesus essentially repeats himself in these verses in order to emphasize what he's trying to get across. He just exchanges the the eyes for the hand, and he says here, listen, uh, if these things are causing you a problem, you need to get rid of them because it's better to get rid of them and, and to go into eternity missing an eye or a hand than to go to hell and still have both of them attached to you. Now, the second thing, though, is is that Jesus isn't speaking literally here, all right? He's not telling you today that if you have a porn problem, you should go home and pluck out your eye or cut off your hand, all right? We don't want any emergency room visits this afternoon. That's not what Jesus is after. However, here is what he's after. He is after us taking radical action to deal with our purity struggles. In the first century, the right eye and the right hand were considered a person's best and most precious faculties. And yet Jesus says that if you find that these things are leading you to sin, you're better off getting rid of them. I love how Frederick Bruner explains this. Listen carefully to this. The meaning of Jesus' challenge is to take decisive action against that habit, thing, or person that though pleasurable and perhaps even seemingly indispensable for living is in fact ruining our lives. Let me just pause here for a second. Some of us have things in our life, a phone, okay, a computer, a television, shows people in our lives that that we think we just have to have, we have to be around, we have to engage in, but in fact, they are ruining our lives. And so, Jesus does not advise cautious gradual action, he counsels surgery and immediately He does not advise band-aids. He commands, get this, commands amputations. So to get practical again, I urge you to honestly assess what you're watching, what apps you're using, what you're reading, what you're listening to, where you're going, who you're hanging around with, what relationships that you have. Carefully consider how these things are affecting you in the pursuit of sexual purity and take radical action if they're harmful instead of helpful. You might, by the way, need to get some help from other people in this because the truth is is that we all have blind spots and so we we, we think something that we are engaging in is okay, it's not affecting us in any way, but there are other people who can see that it certainly is 
And so I just want to encourage you, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's uh, someone else in the church, uh, maybe it's an elder, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a staff member, that, that maybe you need to get somebody else in your life and you need to say, hey, will you kind of do um, just a, a little con- consulting here for me? Will you kind of look at my life and the, the kind of things that I am I'm watching, the kind of apps that I am a part of, the social media that I'm on? And can you look at the kind of things that, that I'm looking and engaging in? Can you kind of help me figure out if these things are helpful for me or they are harmful for me in the pursuit of of sexual purity. And listen to me, friends, the the devil is so, so deceitful and our sinful flesh is so, so deceitful that we need other people, okay, who love us and who care about us, who can speak into our lives. And what we need to do is that when they, here's the thing, when we hear that we need to take radical action, what do we tend to do? And then say, oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, I've got it handled. I just want to tell you, when it comes to sexual issue, you don't have it handled, that you do not have it handled. Yo, you need people in your lives and you need to take radical action. And if you're not gonna listen to me, just listen to Jesus, all right? He said, it would be better to do without something, okay, that you really think is important than to allow that thing to lead you to hell. Can I just say to you, there is nothing in this life that is worth going to hell for. Y'all with me on that? So let me give you an example here. Uh, Years ago, I had a good friend doesn't go to this church, okay, it was at the last church that I was at, uh, who had a, a porn problem. And he was finding that, that one of his struggles came with his smartphone. Now, he was convicted about it, but um, he was a businessman, and uh, he was out of the office a lot. And so, um, for most of us, we, we believe a smartphone is essential to living, period, right? <laughs> but if you're a businessman who's traveling out of the office, you really think you need a, a smartphone to, to be able to, to get by. It's a tool of the trade. And yet, my friend just came to the conviction that the inconvenience was worth it rather than to have to deal day in and day out with that temptation that was sitting before him. Now, that sounds crazy, right? Doesn't it sound crazy? I mean, getting rid of your smartphone. He, he, went, he literally went back to a flip phone, all right? And I'm sure he got mocked, but I may have mocked him for that, all right? But the, but the truth is, is it sounds crazy and sounds radical, but it also sounds a lot like what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter five. Now, listen to me, I'm not telling you to get rid of your smartphone, okay? I have one. Actually, I'm gonna use it as an illustration here in a minute, so I have it here in my back pocket. That is not the point. I'm not telling you to get off a certain social media program. I'm not gonna tell you to stop going to this movie or stop watching that show. That's, that's not the point. You, you might need to, but you need to go before the Lord and determine that for yourself. I'm not gonna lay that out. What I am telling you is that you need to determine where you're tempted and to take radical action to eliminate those temptations as much as possible. Now, a word here for parents. Here's what I have to say to you parents. Uh, we must take radical action to protect our children from sexual temptation. Uh, We're gonna do a full workshop on this in two Saturdays at our Burlington campus, and I'll talk about this in a much fuller way on that morning. But for now, I I wanna point out that I'm afraid many of us need a wake-up call here. We parents must recognize the incredible dangers our kids face today, and we must take extreme, and I really do mean extreme action to protect them. We need to talk to them. We need to teach them. We need to limit what they have access to. We need to do everything that we can to help them pursue sexual purity. I'm gonna say something here uh, that is probably gonna be really shocking, but I know that some of you need to hear this. If you 
are not taking steps to protect your children, you very well may be paving their way to hell. You very well may be paving their way to hell. And listen, listen, this is, a, this is a, a maybe, um, it's up there, I'll say this. It's up there in the most serious issues of our day. Do, do we realize that there are all kinds of depraved individuals out there who have one focus in life, and that is to violate young girls, and they do so first and foremost through the internet and through social media apps? And do we realize that there are depraved individuals out there whose other focus is to get young men hooked on pornography at a very early age? You know what, with the ages that they're targeting now, 11 years old. 11 years old. And most of our kids, and I, I see this, they, they walk around with one of these things, and, and this is a Pandora's box. Now, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with the phone in and of itself, but what we need to realize is that it is a very, very dangerous thing, especially for our children to go unprotected uh, from. And, and let me say this also in regards to, I understand that it's really complicated and difficult and awkward to talk to our kids about sex, Right? Can anybody say, amen? help me out here, all right? Yeah, amen, right? You know what I'm talking about. But, but here's what I found. You know, uh, much of my ministry here, uh, this is not a normal sermon. I know you're getting it, right? But most of, much of my ministry here is with 20 and 30 and 40 and 50-year-old men. And here's what I found time and time and time again, that, that most men in that range, probably you go older too, um, they wish, they wish, not that their parents would have talked to them about sex more or less, but that their parents would have talked to them about sex more. And that is true for the younger generation now. They are much more willing to talk about it than we are, and so we need to take the opportunity and talk to them about it and tell them what God's word says and protect them from the onslaught that is in our day. Because if we're not, if we're not, we very well may be paving their way to hell. Now, if that statement makes you angry, I'm, that's okay. And you can tell me about it. I will receive whatever you have to say. I just hope that God's gonna use it to protect our children from a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering. In summary then, Jesus says sexual purity requires taking radical action. And so let's be wise and do so. By the way, uh, kids, I know I'm the most unpopular person in the world right now but it's because I love you, all right? So go home and parents support me and, you know, all that, all right? Second way to pursue sexual purity is to take stock of its benefits, to take stock of its benefits. Now, uh, the last point was mostly negative. The last two are all positive. So, so it's all downhill from here, all right? It's all good news from here. And what I wanna try to do with this point is I wanna try to give you a compelling vision of the benefits of pursuing sexual purity. So I want to speak to the young people here again. Will, will you just give me just a couple of minutes here to try to uh, just share with you a compelling vision for why you should pursue sexual purity. There are at least three benefits of doing so. First of all, pursuing sexual purity prevents shame and guilt. It prevents shame and guilt. Sexual sin whether external or internal or both, always leads to shame and guilt. Of course, we, we all know this because we've all experienced it, but this doesn't mean that it has to be our experience. We don't have to give in and we don't have to experience the shame and the guilt that comes along with it 
if we will, through the power of the Holy Spirit, say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And can I just say this to you, okay? You can say no. You can say no. Men, I want you to listen to me. You can say no. Don't give in to this idea like, I can't say, you can say no. Especially if you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That doesn't mean it won't be hard. Doesn't mean that you won't have to struggle. It doesn't mean that you won't fail. That's not the point. It just means that you can say no if you will courageously step in to following Jesus. Two, sexual purity promotes healthy marriages. So it prevents shame and guilt and it promotes healthy marriages. Now, one thing that maybe is not all that easy to see is that, that the underlying uh, really thing that Jesus is aiming for here is to protect the marriages. That, that, that's really the, the, the underlying truth of his teaching here. And it's really the underlying truth of the seventh commandment. Why does God give us the seventh commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery because he wants to promote healthy marriage. He wants to protect marriages. And so Jesus is even going further here and really reinterpreting the seventh commandment. You see, one of the quickest ways for marriages to be destroyed is through heart adultery, and get this, and not just after we're married, but also before it. I have to point out that one way to damage your potential future marriage, if you're currently unmarried, is to commit heart adultery now. Conversely, one of the best things that you can do to have a good future marriage is to pursue sexual purity now. So, Don't think, young people, that you can engage in heart adultery now and then experience a healthy and fulfilling sexual relationship with your spouse later. Now, I'm not saying that forgiveness and healing aren't possible because they certainly are. And I could bring up here lots of people uh, in this very room who could share with you how God has redeemed and transformed uh, their their former life and former decisions. That's true for so, so many people. But but the point is, is is why, let me put it this way. You want to have, we all want to have good, healthy, vibrant, thriving marriages, right? It's something we all desire. The point is, is don't do things now that are going to prevent you from experiencing what you really want to experience. And so have delayed gratification. Follow Jesus now and that will pay off in the future. If you want to have a healthy marriage someday, start pursuing sexual purity today. Three, sexual purity propels gospel witness. It prevents shame and guilt. It promotes healthy marriages. And finally, it propels gospel witness. When we're radically obedient to Jesus with our sexuality, we give a great testimony to the world that Jesus is better than sex. And let me ask you here today, do we believe that Jesus is better than sex? That was overwhelming, folks. You're la- I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing because do, do we believe that Jesus is king? Let me put it this way. Our world says that sex is ultimate. Today, sex is ultimate, okay? In whatever way you want to talk about that. Today, sex is king. But as followers of Jesus, we have said, we believe that Jesus is ultimate. We believe that Jesus is king. Do we truly really believe that? And here's the thing, is that, that when we live lives that are obedient to Jesus, particularly in this area, it gives an incredible testimony to a lost and dying and confused and broken world that there is a better way than the way of the world. You see, see when men honor women and when single people 
abstain from sex and when married couples remain faithful not only in body but in mind and in heart to one another and we do so because we love Jesus out of obedience to him, the world is going to take notice. The the world is going to see maybe there is something to that. Wait, they seem to be flourishing. They seem to have incredible freedom. Maybe that is the way to go. Now, we're going to be mocked for our sexual ethic, right? But guess what, friends? The world's been mocking Christians for our sexual ethic for 2,000 years, for, for two millennia now. But you know what they've also done? The, the church has made the most difference when they have stayed faithful to Jesus in this area. Because at some point, the world looks and says, this ain't working. This is causing all kinds of trouble. This is causing all kinds of problems. And it's at that moment where we get to point people to Jesus. And again, I just say this to you. There is nothing better in life than pointing people to Jesus. There's nothing better than it. And so let's follow Jesus in this area. It's hard. It can be extremely hard. But it's worth it. And it's worth it because Jesus is worth it. And that leads to this. The third way to pursue sexual purity is to take your struggle to Jesus. Here's what I know. Many of us are struggling with lust. I know this for a variety of reasons, but most notably because research consistently reveals that a large portion of both men and women are regularly viewing pornography. Uh, there's lots of research about this, and it varies, but, but, but one uh, source says that 90% of people in our country, 90% of men in our country, and 60% of women in our country are currently viewing pornography. I think that maybe is a little high. I hope it's high. But the truth is, is that that's true not only in the world, but it's in the church. There are a lot of people today at Harmony Bible Church that are viewing pornography. Now, I don't say that in order to bring condemnation, but rather I say that 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 means that there are a lot of people here today who are currently feeling shame and guilt. It would be almost impossible not to, given what Jesus says in this passage. And so, as I close this message, I I desperately want to help you. I want you to be helped today. And I'm going to help you by just urging you to do one thing. I'm going to urge you to run to the cross. Brothers and sisters, run to the cross today. Run to the cross and take your shame and guilt to that cross because it was on the cross where God took all of your shame and guilt and nailed it and did away with it. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus, get this, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Struggling believer, your sin debt and the shame and the guilt that go along with it have been canceled by Jesus. He has paid your debt and taken your shame and your guilt so that it no longer rests on you. It's no longer part of your record. As far as God is concerned, your shame and your guilt and your sin is gone. So I just wanna invite you really today to take your shame and guilt and to to literally leave it in this room today when you leave. When you exit the doors here, leave your shame and your guilt behind knowing that Jesus took it for you. Did you know, by the way, uh, what the penalty was for violating the seventh commandment? If someone committed adultery in the Old Testament, 
What was the penalty? It was stoning. It was death. Jesus is saying if you committed heart adultery, you deserve death. But you know what? Not too long after Jesus spoke these words, he climbed up on a cross. And on that cross, Jesus took your death in your place. So that your sin and your guilt and your shame, it's gone and it's gone forever. And I'm just telling you today that you can leave this morning with that shame and guilt no longer associated with it. It isn't as far as God is concerned. Now the question is, are you going to give it to him? Not only that, it actually gets better. Because you can leave today with the power you need to say no to the things that cause you shame and guilt. So your shame and guilt is gone, but, but you also have power in your life to be able to not give yourself to the things that caused that shame and guilt in the first place. You see, on the cross, Jesus not only paid the penalty for your sin, he also freed you from the power of sin. In Acts chapter 13, Paul is preaching in this song called Antioch of Pisidia, and Luke records that he says this in his sermon, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So the law of Moses, i.e. the Ten Commandments, they, they tell us what not to do, but they don't give us the power not to do it. All that the, the, the law of Moses does is just condemns us. Condemns us because we, we've all violated the Ten Commandments, right? We should take a test today, go through the Ten Commandments. How well will we do? We would all fail. We would all fail repeatedly over and over again. That's because the law of the Mo- Moses can't actually free us. Only Jesus can free us. You see, Jesus not only comes and says, here's what you need to do, but Jesus also gives us the power not to do it. And so where do you actually, how does this actually come into your, how does that power come into your life? How do you actually tap in to this power that Jesus provides you through his death on the cross? Well, I'm gonna sound like a broken record here. But you know where I'm gonna take you, right? To the first beatitude. You've got to be poor in spirit. Where do you get the power to be free from the sin in your life? You do so by by getting on your knees, spreading your hands out to heaven, and asking God to have mercy on your soul, asking God to show you grace, asking God to give you the strength and the power that you need to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And can I just tell you, if you will do this, you're not going to do it perfectly, you're still going to fail, you're still going to struggle, but if you will be pure in spirit and if you will show faith in Jesus, you will find freedom over your sin. If not, what are we doing? But you got to be born in spirit. And let me just say this to you and then I'll be done. Um, I want to make you, make sure that you know, if you're a struggling brother or sister, that you're not alone. So if no one else in this room will admit to you that they struggle with lust, I will admit it. Now, I don't know if you're comfortable or not with your pastor admitting that, but if I were to tell you I don't struggle with lust, with lust, I would be lying. I struggle with it day in and day out. It has been a daily battle for me for as long as I can remember, and I've come to this place in my life where I realize it's going to be a struggle for me until the day that I die or I see Jesus face to face, whichever one comes first. It's a reality. It's, it's just... It, it, it is a reality for me, and it's a reality for, I think, probably for all of us. But here's what I know. 
I want you to know that you can have victory. I want you to know that if you ask God to give you mercy and grace, he will. No matter how great your struggle, no matter how many times you fail, no matter how massively you fail, if you will humble yourself and seek his help, he will give it to you. How do I know that? Because I know that because that's what he's done for me. That's what he's done for me this very week. It's not about being perfect. It's not about uh, never failing. It's simply about being poor. It's, It's really about being humble and asking for God's help. And so today, you can begin to be free from shame and guilt. Today, you can begin to experience freedom from lust. Today, you can begin to experience the benefits of purity. And it all starts with this. It starts by taking the radical step of being poor in spirit. Remember, Jesus said this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, the kingdom of heaven is already but not yet. So um, that, that means that we don't have the fullness of the kingdom. So we're not gonna be free from sin until the kingdom comes in its fullness. But it's already here which means through faith in Jesus, we can begin to experience the freedom and the flourishing that that future kingdom, we're gonna experience in that future kingdom. So listen to this, by faith in Jesus, the future comes into the present. You all with me on that? When we see Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount and we believe them by faith, we trust, we believe that he is the son of God who died for us, who rose again, who's coming one day to establish his kingdom fully here on this earth, that kingdom becomes a reality. We start to experience it in the here and now. And I just say, you can experience it. I'm experiencing it. You can experience it through faith in Jesus today.